Now, Greg, I'm sure everyone's super concerned about you being in L.A. and me being in uh, <laughs> South America, um, <laughs> San they Diego. Are. I mean, I've, I've received and concerned every... texts from uh, friends and family. Of course. But fear not. We are not anywhere near the fires yes. currently happening. Uh, there is a, a noticeable effect to air quality. However, we monitored kind of the levels, and they are still safe to go outside. So, I mean, thank you, everybody, for your concern. However, um, you don't need to worry about John and I. Yes. Always worry about us. We should be in your thoughts 100% of the no, time, all the time. Tough. We can handle anything. And for... I want them to be thinking, hey, I wonder what John and Greg are doing right now. And when we're not around, where's John and Greg? <laughs> is that too much to that ask? That is way too much to ask, John. We don't deserve, we don't deserve this kind of attention. We run a very, uh, right. I tell That's... people we have a very niche podcast about <laughs> very niche. two brothers trying to expand their cinematic horizons by watching classic movies that they've never seen before. Mm-hmm. And this week is a very special episode. <laughs> I got the dreidel out. I got the latkes ready. Oh, this is not, this is not an excuse just for you to do your Jewish dad voice, is it? <laughs> this week we watched Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, God. of our traditions we've kept our balance for many many years here in Anatevka we have traditions for everything how to sleep how to eat how to work how to wear clothes for instance, we always keep our heads covered and always wear a little prayer shawl. This shows our constant devotion to God. You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. <laughs> it's a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah, I tell you. John, John, let's dispense. Yeah, let's dispense with the fakakta mishigas, okay? Okay. <laughs> yes, it's as we record. As we record this, it's uh, officially the first day of Hanukkah, and when this mm-hmm. goes out, it'll be we'll be in the midst of Hanukkah. So we thought we'd uh, celebrate our Jewish sisters and brothers um, with a celebration of a Jewish movie. Mm-hmm. It was either this or Schindler's List, and we thought this yeah. was a lot more fun. We'll, we'll get to we'll get to Schindler's List. Not really, later because yeah. please forgive us if we haven't seen that movie. Yeah. Um, but. I mean, there's there there's there's very few Jewish movies that end happily. So, and <laughs> what are we and we'll do? get to this the ending of this one too, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but Greg, I, everyone knows my feelings about Fiddler on the Roof. It is my favorite musical, and I saw this movie for the first time way back in high school in the ancient days. We rode dinosaurs <laughs> back then, and uphill both ways. I hadn't seen it since. Yep, uphill both ways through the snow, and. Uh, I hadn't seen it since, and I watched it again, and I fell in love all over again. But it's not important <laughs> what I think, Greg. What did you think? I'm just happy that you love this movie. 
That's what, <laughs> okay. that's what I'm happy about. And I'm actually happy that everybody loves this movie. This is a big extravagant musical mm-hmm. based on a Broadway play that was put on uh, in 1964. And it's essentially mm-hmm. that. It's a cinematic version of that with uh, filmed in real locations in Yugoslavia and, you know, immaculate sets built in, well, not immaculate, but, you know, uh, very good sets. <laughs> There's nothing immaculate about the way these people live. Very accurate sets, period accurate sets, built at Pinewood Studios. And, you know, great songs, great performances. That's all great. You know, thumbs up from that perspective. However, John, this is where you and I um, get to, we, we get to the limit of what we can achieve as film critics. That is very true. If you want, even want to use that term, that feels yeah. a little boastful. <laughs> because I, I want to view every movie objectively. I want to, mm-hmm. obviously... You know, keep an open mind. That's what this podcast is about, learning new things, experiencing new things. However, I still can't overcome my inherent aversion to big, ridiculous musicals. Because that's what this movie is. It's got about eight different plot lines. Mm -hmm. Um, It's got about 15 different tones that vary wildly. And so, as, as, as great as the songs are, the songs are earworms, and I remember, like, you when you're a kid, you kind of learn these songs like Tradition, Matchmaker, you know, all these songs. And I had no idea where they came from. It's, it's interesting to see that, okay, they came from this, you know, Yiddish play. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't know. I just can't, I just can't pull myself to like love this movie. Is the thing. <sighs> and I, and I, and I say that, I say that as myself, I see where my limits of taste are kind of coming in. Cause again, now I'm an intractable 30 year old white male, white Gentile male. <laughs> um, now I, who's, who's, I feel like Tevia and you're my daughter telling me you want to marry <laughs> outside the faith. How can I accept this? There is no other hand. I do. Well, <laughs> again, John, let's, let's dispense with the stereotyping, please. <laughs> and then, yes, let's, let's get into that, that little kernel of the plot. Because really, this his story focuses on Tevia, mm-hmm. who's the patriarch of this uh, poor Jewish family. He's a milk. He's a milk person. Yeah, a milk uh, person. Again, <laughs> a milk person. Yes, John, the milk people. <laughs> Those world famous milk people. Exactly. I didn't want to say milk man because that's gendered. So, <laughs> um, given the society and the time period, I think it's okay to be gendered. <laughs> You're probably the right. The papa, yes. the mama. You know. Yes, it's a very traditional. Jewish community here in uh, what is the modern day Ukraine, mm-hmm. under the thumb of the Russian czar. Ugh, gross. Get out of my face. Exactly. Yeah. And so the, the general, the general gist of the story is um, mm-hmm. basically, it, basically these traditions breaking apart, and this poor family, um, head by, uh, uh, not really Tevia, really head, really more headed by his wife, Goldie. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Kind of, kind of breaking apart and and confronting the modern world. It's it's a story about change. And yeah, uh, how which we kind for of the time, it. which also we should probably acknowledge for the time, this was released in 1964. the The original play came out in 1964. Mm-hmm. Like obviously, I think that's why it like audiences immediately grabbed onto this show is because of the the changes that the culture and that American culture was going through at the time as well. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you also had not just changes happening in the Jewish faith, but also Catholicism and just kind of a general rejection of traditional religious values at that time. Absolutely. With Vatican II and whatnot. Mm-hmm. If we really want to get into the larger cultural context. But I don't want to get into that right now. <laughs> it's the holidays. Let's avoid politics. <laughs> no, let's get into the songs, John. <laughs> well, I think that's why I love this movie so much, is that the themes that it is exploring are pretty universal. It's about kind of changes in tradition, but also kind of in a more micro sense, you know, gender roles and parental mm-hmm. relationships. So... 
I think that's why I, I appreciate it. And again, you're right. And culturally, and I'd, I'd add like civil rights onto that too. Yeah. And okay. Because we see uh, prejudice against these the Semitic people. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right. I am cheating. Because this is, this is a classic <laughs> for me. Like, we usually go off a lot of lists when we're trying to pick movies. We go off AFI. We go by Roger Ebert's The Great Movies. We go by the 1001 movies you need to see before you die. This is on none of those lists. I will grant you that. <laughs> well, John, I'll, I'll grant you this was this was one of the biggest hit of 1971. Mm-hmm. This was nominated for a number of Oscars. Mm-hmm. That's true. So, I, and yeah, there's still some cultural resonance in terms of, like, again, I want to ask kids, like, you know this tradition song. You know, you know, the Matchmaker song. Well, Fiddler on the Roof is but still they one probably, of... they probably, like me, they probably can't name where it came from. Well, no, but I mean, Fiddler on the Roof is still one of the most performed high school plays out there today. Too, yeah. So, I mean, it's hard to separate kind of the larger cultural context of this story to this specific movie. But I will give the movie a lot of credit because I do think it stands up as its own entity. Because it does make, it does adhere to the story and it's kind of Broadway bona fides quite tightly, but it also, I feel like... Not, not, not tightly, closely. Closely, whatever. But it's still, <laughs> I think it still kind of holds up as a movie and it makes a lot of important changes and does a lot of, it makes a lot of creative choices that kind of make it stand as its own film. Yeah, I've, I, I, one of my criticisms is that it adheres too closely to the Broadway show in that this movie is three hours long. It's almost as long as Hanukkah itself. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, <laughs> but so there is a, a brief intermission and again, like song after song after song after, you know, the wild after wild, uh, wild plot changes and dozens of characters and things like that. So see, but again, I, I, I see it. I, you're right. I was I was kind of kind of coming in, assuming that it was just a film filmed version of the play. Um, however, what I think director Norman Jewison does spectacularly, actually, is film in real locations and you really do get a sense of what you do get a sense that this takes place in 1905. Mm-hmm. And I, and so you kind of remove the artifice of the Broadway stage. Well, I also, I think I'm going to, I take umbrage with you thinking that it it does carry over a lot from the Broadway play, because I definitely think it has a different energy to it. Like, I okay. think the Broadway play has a lot, it's a lot snappier. It definitely moves <laughs> okay. a lot quicker. And... This movie, what it kind of does is it brings it a little more down to earth. You're right. They filmed on real sets. It has a very kind of like earthy brown color palette, mm-hmm. which was a deliberate choice. And then also it, it it ditches a lot of the kind of broader humor that you get in the uh, play. Like the uh, beggar that you kind of see only like twice in this movie. He kind of gets mm-hmm. a few lines actually in the play. And, you know, the only character I can think of who kind of you preserve that kind of like Broadway over the topness is maybe Yenta the matchmaker. She's the only one who feels kind of the most caricature and I feel like carries over from uh, yeah, the other thing too feels... is I listen to like <laughs> the original Broadway recording once a month. <laughs> Cause again, I love this show <laughs> <laughs> so I can kind of speak to it more uh, probably than you can. <laughs> okay. Yep. Well, I, I'm glad you brought up how, how often characters come in maybe mm-hmm. because Yes, like the the songs are all earworms. The songs are great, but it it lends to my aversion to musicals in that the point is just the songs, and what I'm really looking for is story. But I think this still has a great story. I mean, granted, yeah. it's not like it's a bunch of little vignettes, but I think it has a again like those themes carry over the themes about tradition and the way that life moves on without you, whether you like it or not. That's the general idea. I wish the story <laughs> did a better job of 
explaining or elucidating on those ideas because how so as you said there's a beggar character we see him twice mm. there is um what, what's the matchmaker's name again yenta 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 mm-hmm. excuse me um she's great comic relief however i was kind of flitting back and forth between okay is this a story about again those traditions coming around is it a story of anti-semitism and these people you know tragically being displaced uh time after time during this pogrom or is it a, a story about uh, a patriarch losing his power this that's the thing like it's like so many different things that are so kind of disparate but they I all found. have the same theme it's all about change it's all about that life is dynamic and it's precarious, like some kind of musical instrument player on some kind of high place. Oh, if only there was a good metaphor for it. <laughs> I think you're talking about a violinist on the tile. That, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on the thatch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like some plot lines get short. I wish it was like kind of more narrow and focused in that. Like, just give me, just give me one interesting storyline to kind of invest in. Instead, we get um, kind of... I guess we should, uh, Jane, explain, Jane, (laughs) (laughs) I guess we should explain the general premises, um, Tebia and his wife Goldie are getting older, they have five daughters, Mm -hmm. and they want to, three of them are of marrying age now, Mm -hmm. and so they kind of want to marry them off. Uh, That's kind of the first conflict. Tebia meets with a, uh, a, butcher, the butcher, the butcher in town, who has the greatest name ever committed to cinema. Laser Wolf, the butcher. (laughs) His name is Laser Wolf, Yes. (laughs) Just think of every image that the conjures in your mind and how awesome they are. <laughs> to life, to life, lechaim. Lechaim, lechaim, to life. Here's to the father of tried to be. Here's to my bride to be. Drink lechaim, to life, to life, lechaim. Lechaim, lechaim, to life. Life has a way of confusing us, blessing and bruising us. Drink the high to life. God would like us to be joyful, even when our hearts lie panting on the floor. How much more can we be joyful when there's really something to be joyful for? To life, to life, the To title my daughter, my wife. It gives you something to think about. Something to drink about. Drink the high So that's kind of step step one is marrying off his uh, his old eldest daughter, whose name is Seidel. Seidel. <laughs> they all end in empty. I can't I can't keep track. I apologize. <laughs> Again, it's not really fair. I've listened to the soundtrack like nine million times, so I know all the characters. I, yeah, names. I'm sure if I, I see it again, yes, I remember I can distinguish between Yendel and Goldie and Seidel and uh what was the other guy's name? Per, it began with a P. Anyway. <laughs> uh Perchick. Perchick, that's it. <laughs> but mu- Muddle is the more important one, Greg. Muddle's the tailor. And he, Yes, exactly. He carries yeah, a flame to Seidel. Yes, he has. She has her heart. The uh, Tevia's eldest daughter has her heart set on the tailor, the poor tailor. Mm-hmm. When obviously the parents want to marry him off to the well-off butcher, mm-hmm. even though even though there's a vast difference in age, um, there's again tradition. Like he he grants uh, the butcher's consent to marry, mm-hmm. and so the the arrangement is made. Yes, yeah, Idle really ideally in the society doesn't get a say in who she marries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's up to the matchmaker and, and the father and whoever else. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where the the first conflict in the in the first act 
kind of comes from. Mm. And if it was just that, like, fine, perfect, thumbs up. <laughs> but then we have two other plot lines where the other two daughters want to marry outside of the regular traditions of this little town. Mm-hmm. And those are given short shrift. Like, well, who's, the, who's their third daughter? Uh, Shava. Shava. I, I'm okay. probably not pronouncing that right, but it's, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, so the third yeah, daughter, it, she's kind of the redheaded stepchild, literally. Yeah. And not not a literal stepchild, but she is redheaded. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I will grant you that she does get the kind of shortest shrift because I can't even remember the man she meets. But the the <laughs> exactly. I was going to ask you how many scenes is she in, John? <sighs> like five. I'll tell you exactly. <laughs> I counted exactly five scenes. But that's really where the the story kind of culminates. She's the last daughter to get married off, and it kind of leads to the climax. Of the well, story. again, and because that these three daughters getting married off, they keep pushing Tevia farther and farther away from tradition. Yes, yeah. Seidel wants to marry Muddle, the poor tailor, and he eventually grants that. But at least. She's going to stay in town, they're going to stay local, and at least carry on some of the traditions of this Jewish family. And yeah. then you have the next daughter, Hoytel. She wants to marry Pershek. Now, Pershek is a student from Kiev. Ooh, he's got a lot of crazy and, uh, ideas. John, not just a, yeah, not just a student, a revolutionary. Mm-hmm. He wants to literally turn the whole world upside down. <laughs> he's a the Marxist. On top. <laughs> he doesn't believe yeah. in money. He takes the rich are just uh, constantly taking advantage of the poor. <laughs> how how yeah. foolish. Uh. Yeah. In 12 years, he'll amount to nothing, let me tell you that. <laughs> so um, he's still Jewish, though, but even though he doesn't, again, traditionally uh, believe in kind of the same uh, tenets of the faith as they... No, and yeah, you can see it in his wardrobe, like he doesn't have the beard. Mm-hmm. But eventually he gets arrested, and he sends for Hoytel. And Hoytel mm-hmm. goes to Siberia, where he's being punished to go be with him. She has to leave uh, Anatevka. That's the town, by the way. Anatevka yeah. is the town. She's an insane asylum where everybody breaks out of the song. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Again, you're making it sound like this is like a ridiculous over-the-top musical like Chicago or something like that. I, th- I still think it, it maintains that kind of like movie musical quality where, you know, you could make the argument that the musical numbers are all happening in the characters' heads. Like in that opening number, the whole of the townspeople are supposed to be singing, but they're not. It's just playing over them going about their day-to-day lives. Mm, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we are introduced to Tevia who's literally addressing the audience, mm-hmm. who, which I'm assuming he does in the Broadway play. Yeah, of course. Breaks and the fourth wall, as it were. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess you could say, but they they do join in later. So uh, well, I guess what I had a hard time contrasting is the, the song started out very joyously, in spite of everything that kind of comes after it, like... Uh, a, like, uh, there are two pogroms during it, like this complete um, excision of the Jewish people from this little community. Mm-hmm. And later, like, yeah, this confrontation with tradition and, and how Tevi is going to react to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously he reacts very angrily when the disagreement he had with the butcher is broken and the daughter wants to go her own way. Yeah. Well, and, I, and again, like, I kind of got sidetracked, but that eventually leads into the third daughter who wants to get married off. Uh, Shava, who wants to marry, mm-hmm. what's his face? <laughs> Again, I really can't remember his name, but he's yeah. The point is, he's he's Russian. He's an Orthodox Christian. Yeah, and that's the that, again, that's the line for him. He eventually uh, acquiesces to his other two daughters, but with uh, Shava, he's like, nope, I can't, and he basically disowns her. He, for the rest of the movie, he doesn't even speak to her. No, and it kind of comes back the climax, mm-hmm. and they all have to go their separate ways because of um. Because of this latest move, mm-hmm. but again, and it, it connects to what's it connects yeah. to what's going on. He has a good reason to hate these people. These Orthodox Christians are basically forcing him off his land. 
And again, the the constable, you know, someone he thought uh, uh, Tevia thought he could trust, turns out kind of betrays him. Another character not really given a short shrift. Well, no, he's he's basically there to be a plot device. He's supposed to yeah, be. He's a plot device, and well, you have the potential there because um, as we establish, he's friendly with Tevia. Mm-hmm. Um, he likes these Jewish people. However, he's under orders from the Tsar to resettle them. Exactly. Or again, react violently, and you know, again, burned at one point, burned down their village. Mm-hmm. That's true. So, and I wish, I wish there was greater, there was greater capacity for drama there. Maybe they could get into an argument or something like that. Wait, you don't think like, that they don't get into an argument? No, they do get. They get into one argument. Last <laughs> approximately two minutes. <laughs> But I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like, where else do we see the conflict? At one point, he just says, like, I have my orders, and then you're supposed to leave, and then they leave. Well, I mean, there's also, there's a few times where Tevia is forced to kind of defend the constable. Because, again, they're friends. But he's the only one in town who really trusts him. Because, again, they think that, you know, they're, like, on each other's side. And the constable is kind of on Tevia's side, but at the end of the day, he still has orders. And still has to force these people off his land. I know, but I wish I wish we could explore that more. Again, it's it's like we're we're devoting so much energy to some aspects of the story, and like while including others, I'm like, why not just just give me just give me a cohesive, coherent story, no, like something no, to focus I on, love, and really invest my no, I love a story that it's kind of divided mm-mm, between mm-mm. like eight different subplots. What do you want? Too much or too little? John, this is what's where we preferable. Come up with what's preferable? You <laughs> this no, is where answer we come me. Up. Answer me. What's preferable? Too much or too little? You know what I'm going to say. Yeah, that's too little. You're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> no one's gone to Thanksgiving dinner and thought like, oh, this is just too much food. No. <laughs> you want more. This is where we run up to our limits as film critics. <laughs> we can't get over our personal prejudices. You obviously want big extravagance and, and way too much. I'm fine with, you know, straight down the line, you know, coherent story, which again, and can end ambiguously them just walking off in the middle distance, <laughs> which, you know. We'll get to. What, <laughs> did you want to see them go to America? Did you want to see them go to New York? Yes. I, I was I was half expecting the final shot to be the Statue of Liberty. Oh, go, go watch an American <laughs> tale for that. Come on. That happens at the beginning, John. Come on. <laughs> I mean... Maybe a good companion piece is yeah. after you're done, after you've fallen asleep after the... Just pretend an American the... tale is a sequel where they got turned into mice somehow. <laughs> yeah. No, that's what happened in, uh, in Tevia's brain. See, he's, he's suffering from dementia. <laughs> oh, that's mean. Just suffering from mad cow. <gasps> yeah, so much time with those cows milking them. I know, I know. That's why they got to. That's why they got to eat that donkey. <laughs> <laughs> Who remembers that from years ago? <laughs> I'd fill my yard with the chicks and turkeys and geese and ducks for the town to see and hear, squawking just as noisily as they can, and each loud will land like a trumpet on the ear, as if to say, here lives a wealthy man. If I were a rich man, dum All day long, bum. If I were a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work hard. If I were a bit of rich, idle, diddle, diddle, diddle man, I see. 
my wife, my gold, looking like a rich man's wife with a proper double chin. Supervising meals to her heart's delight. I see her putting on airs and strutting like a peacock. Oh, what a happy mood she's in. Screaming at the servants day and night. And another reason why I have to take umbrage, Greg. Scurrilous attacks against you. What's your favorite movie musical? Ooh, that's a great question. Probably the Blues Brothers. Well, okay. Hardly counts. That's fair. But... <laughs> What what one have we actually discussed for this podcast? I don't know. You're talking. We're going back sixty episodes, John. I, I don't know. I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. <laughs> Singing in the rain. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. And that movie is garbage because <laughs> it's about <laughs> nothing. Not garbage. It's about nothing. What do you mean? It's not about. There's nothing. There's no dramatic I, stakes maybe it's a, whatsoever. Maybe it has these a people are getting forced off their land. The entertainment industry. This man is giving away his daughters. This is high stakes, think, Greg. Well. What do you mean? Are you saying that the, in the entertainment industry of uh, the late 1920s, that's where Singing in the Rain set? Those aren't high stakes? No. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm not going to be a star? Ugh. I may as well just be a librarian and turn into an old maid. I, I know the worst fate for a woman. <laughs> but, John, that's the great thing about storytelling. Everything could be high stakes. It doesn't literally have to be life or death or have a huge sociopolitical you know, d- uh, attachment to it. Mm. But it's so much easier um, if you can make it high stakes. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the difference. I mean, that's the other thing I wish was given a little more shrift, is, and that's Tevye's faith. Because one <laughs> Excuse me? outside of the... He's literally what? talking to God every other line. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Okay. Is that the best aspect, outside of the songs, the other best aspect of the movie is uh, the lead performance by Topol, and these moments where he literally talks to the clouds, mm-hmm. you know, like literally, like is uh, is conversing with God somehow, or not even conversing <laughs> with God. It does seem very one sided, but <laughs> very true. So, in these moments, like yeah, he's kind of talking, but I wish I wish the faith was kind of explored in the rest of the community because they have this rabbi who's literally only in about two scenes, mm-hmm. and um, the 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 one scene that really piqued my interest was a. Uh, they hear this latest resettlement. They all have to move in the dead of winter. Mm-hmm. And the tailor, again, not exactly a radical, but he said he, he asked the rabbi, like, we're waiting for a messiah. Like, now would be a great time. <laughs> and again, I wish, I wish there was a little bit, like, that was an interesting conflict that kind of piqued my interest in terms of, like, what I wanted out of, out of the character's faith. Like, obviously, he's still a very faithful, he's, uh, Tevye is still a very faithful man. Mm. However, in these scenes, like, there's no conflict there. They're entertaining, but they don't lend to the story enough, kind of. Well, for me, I think it it would be incongruous if he questioned his faith, because, again, this is something so integrated into his life. It's like, again, given this community, do you see anyone really, like, halfway being Jewish? I don't think so. That, no. That's I, something no, you it's... can't really afford to do in this community. Yeah, so wouldn't that be interesting if he he contrasts a little bit more with um what's his name the radical Peckram? Peckram? <laughs> no, Peck P Peckram. Perchick. <laughs> Perchick, thank you. <laughs> Peckram. <laughs> Maybe they had a discussion about their faith or something like that, and we could do those little asides. I do love in the in the direction the way that's uh that's done visually mm-hmm. is um not the not the the story won't literally pause that that happens with the butcher that I didn't well like, that but in the that... play in the play everything freeze frames and again like that's something kind of broad and comedic that you can't really 
in a movie, you know, it feels like a Zach Morris timeout. Up. Like that, that wouldn't work. So yeah, it, it comes it comes across as cheesy in that meeting with the mm-hmm. the uh, the butcher. No, However, instead, when he converses scenes, with God, he literally like looks up, and then all of a sudden, he's like a thousand feet away. Yeah, he's like again. It gives you this idea that he's like observing everything from a distance. Like tr- again, debating this because you know yeah. during these times he's going. On the other hand, again, like he's quote unquote conversing with God, but really he's just trying to figure this out for himself. I, I wish it took other some other form because it gets a, it gets a little redundant. It happens the first time when he gives uh, his his uh, not his blessing but his permission to sidle mm-hmm. to marry uh, the tailor. Mm-hmm. And break off the agreement he made with the butcher. However, it happens again, and it's kind of like literally the exact same. You know, it, he literally gets hits the same beats um, when his second daughter wants to marry this radical. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, too, John, it's, we don't see it's it's I, it's it's building up to again the more the most dramatic one, which is when Shava says, "I want to marry this man, this Russian Orthodox." Yeah. Man. And again, we get it one more time, but and again, he's debating. On the other hand, and then he sighs resigned and goes there is no other hand he just can't accept it mm-hmm. and he rejects her yeah and i just wish well maybe we should finally get into the songs also <laughs> oh wait because well, i think this is this a musical it is a musical <laughs> i i didn't want to talk too much about the story because obviously in musicals the story is kind of beside the point mm. again that's <laughs> why you that's why you're not a good judge of musicals <laughs> well you say the best musicals kind of elucidate or move the story along mm-hmm. I wish there was more in those moments. It was more musical and theatrical. Well, I don't think I. I, I think you're mischaracterizing them as like moving the story forward. What it is is his characters, character moments. Okay. So again, if I were a rich man, probably the mo- like probably the best song, the one of the most recognized. You know, he's wondering mm-hmm. again. It's this debate with God. He says it's no it's no shame being poor, but it's no great honor either. Like again, yeah. he's he's he even asks at the end. The final line is, "Would it spoil some great eternal plan?" You know, it's like he obviously reveres God, but he's also kind of mad that he's put him in this predicament. Yeah. <laughs> so again, there's that or questioning of faith. Yeah. yeah, he's literally put him in poverty. Yeah, there's that questioning of faith right there. Sure, it's not dramatic. He's not like wrestling like Elijah or whatever. But you know, yeah, he's it, it, there's still that kind of conflict. Yeah, and it's done in a very lighthearted way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe if you can kind of carry through that uh, buoyant nature that Tevia has. Well, it does carry it, that it, through. It, but again, also, uh, he's, he, again, they're exactly, trying John, to... do we want to get to the second act? I mean. But again, they're trying to keep it more grounded, because again, this is a film, not a Broadway play. In the play, yes, it's more ridiculous, it's a little more over the top, but in this movie, it's got to be a little more, you know, even keeled. I know, but it just felt like a two complete... Uh, like so, we get to the second act, and it felt like two completely different plays to me. Mm. Even though we do hit the same beats in the first act, he does give his blessing to his eldest daughter, Seidel, mm-hmm. and then in the second act, it happens again with his uh, his uh, second oldest daughter. Mm-hmm. And so, but the, as you can see, the circumstances have changed. It was the summer in the first act. Now it's the fall and winter in the second. Yeah. You know, things are changing in a in a negative direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just wish that, I would just wish there was more cohesion there because I, I think I would get more emotionally involved. Like, because those songs are e-worms. Like, I'm, I'm cooking breakfast this morning. I'm literally singing <laughs> if I were a rich man, you know. <laughs> but the rest of the movie, I, I can't muster up the affection for, because my attention is so divided between these, these, these plot lines that are given kind of short shrift, like the constable, like his third daughter who wants to marry outside the faith, like you know, uh, what else? Like the, the wedding scene. Mm. 
I mean, I will grant you the wedding scene is really just there to see some dancing. <laughs> That's really why it exists. <laughs> there is some conflict there. Like, obviously, Laser Wolf, you know, gives a toast and, you know, it's a little biting. It's a little bitter. It's a little acidic. The toast is like, yeah. you know what? It's fine. It's fine. We had an agreement, but look how happy they are. Great. Awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and that that sets off Tevia. Like, I don't even, I don't want your damn gift. <laughs> you know? uh, well, no, I I more took it out in in a more broader sense. Um, the the thing that Broadway musicals have to do they have to be be as dramatic as possible, the highest of highs, the lowest of lows. Mm-hmm. And so we were met with this high joyful wedding, immediately contrasted with the first pogrom. Like literally, Russian soldiers come in and ransack the place. Exactly. Yeah, they tear up all the wedding gifts and set everything on fire. Yeah. yeah. Which and again, which leads us straight into our intermission. Like, oh great! Like this, <laughs> this gives me a great feeling as I go to the bathroom. Um, Greg, the second act is supposed to be the darkest moment. Come on, you're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right about that. Yeah. Come on, story structure. Which, which again is why I can't pull myself to enjoy these kind of plays. Like, get me back into the story and see how we're gonna run up. But don't give me a break. You know, I, I'm not giving you a break. You're you're completely I'm, wrong. No. You're completely wrong, and I don't know what to do. It's it's it hurts me. It really does. It pains me. God. God, what do we do with this goit? I just, I don't know sometimes. On the other hand. <laughs> on the other hand, he's my brother. How can I say I no to him? I wish you could bust out a thesaurus, like, conversely. Because <laughs> <laughs> he does say, he must say, on the other hand, those four, uh, four, four words about 8,000 8, times <laughs> in the play. <laughs> but again, repetition. Comedy is repetition. And, uh, sure. It, it, you repeat it until it stops being funny, and then it's funny again. That's the uh, Sight Job Break yep. principle mm-hmm. corollary. Yep. Yeah. we should actually talk about the songs huh <laughs> what was your favorite song greg I, I don't know i mean i always love an opening number mm-hmm. so the way it opens with tradition and, and again when you talk about comedy like those great little fourth wall breaking jokes like uh would you like to hear would you like to hear where these tradition traditions come from i don't know <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you i don't know yeah but it's a tradition yeah. <laughs> i i kind of i again i'm, I'm too much of a fan of the original play so I did kind of miss the opportunity to see all the townspeople sing together. Because, again, it just does it as voiceover. Yeah, or you don't see, like, big chore- choreography, do you? No, you don't. Except for yeah, maybe... There are only, I'd say, about a couple, three dance sequences. Mm-hmm. One's at a bar, another one's at a wedding, and... 
I think that's it, actually. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's my favorite song is the bar scene. He makes the uh, deal with Laser mm. Wolf. You're going to marry Seidel. And then they do a toast. They take some schnapps. Lahayim to life. And then yes. they go to a bar. Mistro- and, it- and then the guys come in, Mistrovia, yep. to your health. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and it looks like there's going to be a row or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's a great little story moment. I also... I, that does remind me when we talk about dance sequences. It it reminded me of the kind of limits of cinema, that, or at least the way that um, director Norman Jewison shot this, mm-hmm. is because there's a scene at the wedding where um, everyone's formally dressed and uh, they have these half-filled liquor bottles, and four dancers go out on the dance floor and they balance these liquor bottles on their head. Mm-hmm. And I thought, like, hey, if you're watching this on Broadway. Um, really impressive for the, <laughs> yeah yeah for like 3,000 straight performances like really impressive but the way it's kind of cut between like close-ups or something like that it's just like eh, this, this more feels like a distraction yeah than, you know? no one pays to see David Copperfield on TV yeah, you exactly. need to see it live <laughs> exactly yeah so I thought like oh that would have been really impressive live but mm-hmm. yeah the cinema didn't didn't lend that yeah. impressiveness to mm-hmm. it yeah I mean again like my favorite is the to life, to life, Lahaim, because again, that's the biggest probably musical number you get involving, mm-hmm. you know, just a group of people dancing and choreographing and all singing together. That's the closest you get in this movie. Yeah. Um, and that little t- tension, like, because again, there's drama in this scene, too. That is true, yeah. Because again, like, a Russian man offers him to dance. And obviously, yeah, Tevya has some the... mixed feelings about these people. So, yeah, the, the Jewish people in the bar is like, oh, don't associate with them. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, and then, so, and yeah, I, I mean, mean also, a, you know, you also get that uh, kind of twist at the end of that scene. He's drunk, he's going home, he's leaving the bar, and that's the first scene we get with the constable. The constable is like, mm-hmm. look, Tevia, I like you, but there's some political machinations going on that's going to probably force your people out. Just warning you. Yeah. So you're right. It does I mean, take... He says, these... like, I like you, I, tr- I like you, I trust you, this is why I'm going to tell you this first. But so. I understand your criticism of, like, the big swings. <laughs> you know, yeah. we get the big drunk moment and then the come down. The hangover. Yeah. And John, I've, I can't get over the biggest swing of all. Mm-hmm. And what really what really kind of digs into my craw about this movie, mm-hmm. even though I do like I do, I do have a very positive impression of it. John, what's the big closing number? Sunrise, sunset, sunrise, sunset. It's a tragic ending. Wait, that was the, close, that was the closing number? Yeah. Anna Tefka, Anna Tefka. It's a sour note, Greg. It ends sadly. It's, they have to it's leave. a hugely sour note. I felt cheated. Oh, what? Oh, sorry. You didn't get your Hollywood che- ending. I wanted to hear the people sing. I wanted to hear the distant drum. I wanted to, you know, fight on people. No. Like, we're off to America. Well, Here's the Statue of Liberty well, we, as we arrive at Ellis we Island. We do get that I moment. Felt so we do get that angry. moment. Like, what's. Because, again, what's the last thing we see as they're what? walking away? The fiddler on the roof behind them. I. He's not on the roof. He's on the plane or whatever. They're on the step. They're on the Ukraine. But the point step. is, there's hope. <laughs> Barely. It, what is this? A Dardan Brothers movie? Like we're just gonna walk off? Oh, how dare! <laughs> I wanted everyone to come together and you know do pirouettes and you know scream their heads off. I wanted this was a big bold musical. I thought you're instead a, you're such a philistine. That's really all what it comes down to. <laughs> No, again, I don't. I love it when it's in a Dardan Brothers movie or a, a, a Hirokazu Kureda movie or something like that. But again, this was supposed to be our big fun musical. Like, what happened, Greg? Come on, there, there, there's no fun musicals for the Jewish people. <laughs> Looking at their history, no. There's yeah, there's very few um, fun moments in there. <laughs> 
but still, I thought that's why, you know, it, we're already breaking with reality in staging this musical, musical. You know, why not end on a, on a again, a big number or something like that? Mm. And if anything, Sunrise, Sunset, I mean, it's another it's another song that kind of, you know, I, I acquired through osmosis. I didn't know until a couple of years ago that it was part of this musical. Mm-hmm. But uh, but of the songs, it wasn't one of my favorites. <laughs> I, I can't believe it kind of has this, uh, this impact, even though it is such a kind of dreary, mournful song. Mm. Again, I think that's what makes it great is the fact that it ends on this kind of like quiet note. Because eh, again, like again, you, I... you can't shove a happy ending when it's not there. I, <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> well, I, I wish it had kind of a more of a measure of an ending because yeah, this story takes place in 1905. Mm-hmm. We're 12 years away from the October, October Revolution. Mm-hmm. So like yeah, exactly. Like where do you where do you terminate the story if you do want to tell the story of this of uh, the of the Jewish people in the in the pale of settlement in in Western Russia, like yeah, where where does that story go? Mm-hmm. Other than maybe the Cossack massacre or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, what do you want, Greg? Come and on, end on a really on a, end on a really sour note. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> your expectations are just way too high. <laughs> oh, suddenly now my expectations. Uh, earlier I didn't get it. Now my expectations are too high. Exactly, you didn't get no. it because your expectations were too high. <laughs> okay, you're just you're a fool. See, John, this is where. I just, John, I, I just worry about us. I feel like you know we have too many preconceived notions, and we're too intractable in our tastes, where we can't we can't come. But to a, an but a critic kind of can't things. a critic can't not bring their biases in there. Come on. I know. Well, I, that's why I want to acknowledge them. Yes, really, that's true. I mean, yeah. I loved the play, and then realizing that this was directed by Norman Jewison, I loved it even more because he directed yeah. one of my other favorite movies, Moonstruck, <laughs> which we'll yeah. watch one day for this podcast as well. Yeah. <laughs> And you're gonna love that one too. Year and year, years from now. <laughs> I mean, it it made a lot of sense realizing that oh, it's the same director because they share a lot of the same blood. Let's say that uh, he has the same kind of like uh, deliberate pacing to both films. Yeah. Well, they're also about you know single women trying to find their yep. <laughs> trying to find a man, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, and family and kind of how intractable yeah. they can mm-hmm. be. And yeah, I mean, also Jewison he did. Also a... he did Heat in the Night. Yeah, he's had such an up and down career. Yeah, um, he's kind of he's kind of like a, uh, I guess who could who could have, who's the analogous to maybe like a Billy Wilder. He's had, had such kind of this workman career. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think his most recent biggest movie. I, I don't think he's directed a movie since two thousand three. But his his last big one was The Hurricane with Denzel Washington. Oh yeah, where he kid, um, where he which committed murder. All right. Well, I don't know why we're <laughs> I don't know why we're giving this guy credence. <laughs> John, it was it was before the internet. Okay, <laughs> people learn things, but <laughs> we learned things through biopics. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so that's how it happened. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Just like JFK. Just like JFK. Like, oh, so it was a, a coup d'état by the in the United States. Interesting. Oh, so Interesting. Salieri killed Mozart. I did not know that. Interesting. Just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Curious. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but I I don't know. I think I kind of prefer that kind of director to a quote unquote auteur. Yeah, so he's a he's a classist, uh, uh, classicist director. <laughs> he's classist. No, no, he's classicist. There's a there's an I C. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> excuse, excuse my horrible pronunciation. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like a uh, who else? Uh, Zim, Robert Zemeckis could fit kind of in that category. I was thinking maybe like not Milos huge... Forman or uh, yeah, like Cindy yeah, doesn't have a huge directorial stamp. Yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, workman like you know. Yeah, they have their they have their kind of. Uh, qualities but also it's like hey a job's a job the whiz yeah. sure i'll direct that <laughs> jesus christ superstar yep. let's do that too 
And that's interesting. Yeah, he, his follow-up to Fiddler on the Roof was Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> I think literally on the basis that this is a this is a religious musical and yep. <laughs> it was a big hit. So yeah, let's just do the next one. Hollywood, very uncreative. <laughs> yep. I, stunning. I can't believe there are uncreative people in Hollywood. I know. I thought it was a meritocracy, but <laughs> Ugh, who knew? Yeah. Well, it's all gonna burn down eventually, anyway. Mm-hmm. Cleanse it with fire. I say, let it burn. <laughs> I mean, they paid for their property. They knew what they were getting into. <laughs> But I mean, don't don't let this this argument distract you from this is a this is a pretty good movie. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, very entertaining. I mean, see the play first before anything else. But you know, okay. I love this oh, film. Okay. I I prefer the source material. Of course, because <laughs> I'm just so erudite and sophisticated. Hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. I only appreciate the finer points. Mm. Unlike Rick. <laughs> oh, why don't they go to America? Your America-centric nationalist view on things, of course. <sighs> It's the greatest country in the world, mm. USA number one. <laughs> it may be on fire, but you know, it's the best fire. It's a big fire. It's a huge it's fire. It's the biggest fire. It's the biggest fire you've ever seen. All right. No one's done uh, a yeah. fire like this before. I know. What a scene. Wild. Huh? <laughs> Greg, have I got a recommendation for you? It's the biggest. It's the best. It'll knock your socks off. Whoa, 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 whoa. Are you saying we're, we're already, we've already summarized our thoughts on, on Fiddler on the Roof? Yeah, I, Greg... We're done. Okay, that's over. All right. Okay. All We're right. moving on, because I can't hold the thought in my head for more than six seconds. It's tremendous. <laughs> and 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 the tower. It's the tallest now in New York. It's great. It's gigantic. It's and great. my casinos. Yeah. They're they're fabulous. All right. Yeah, they're fabulous. They're all doing incredibly well. <laughs> By the way, the secret to a Donald Trump impression is pause, pretending like you're trying to think of the biggest word you can, and then just say great. It's gonna be yeah. <laughs> great. Yeah. I find physically also put your shoulders up and um, like just put your hands to your side or something like mm-hmm. that. And then just naturally, you know, those, you, the, your six word vocabulary will come to you. <laughs> and pucker those lips. It's all about the lips. Yeah, and pucker those lips. Yeah, mm-hmm. straight at the front of the mouth. Yeah. yeah. But John, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. It's a tremendous spotlight. It's the best spotlight. Yeah. It's the greatest spotlight. It's going to be. Yes. <laughs> John, what do you want to recommend? I finally got around to watching The Good Place, oh, okay. which is a TV show that a lot of critics have been uh, banting about for a while now, and I finally got a chance to watch the first season, and kill surprise, it's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John, what, what, makes it, what makes it fantastic? I don't believe you. <laughs> for the, those uninitiated, uh, it takes place in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. It turns out, that, turns out the afterlife is based on a very didactic system. 
Uh, if you did good things in the world, you go to the good place. If you did bad things mm. in the world, you go to the bad place. And the good place turns out is under the whim of an architect, uh, in this case played by uh, Ted Danson. And uh, it stars Kristen Bell, who, through some kind of mix-up, turns out she went to the good place, when really we see the way she lived, she probably should have ended up in the bad place. Uh, so clerical error, mm-hmm. huh? Clerical error. Classic sitcom. <laughs> Classic sitcom setup. <laughs> um, but obviously, because it takes place in the afterlife, it's really more of a fantasy show, and really, the writers can just do whatever the hell they want. Okay. <laughs> uh, when you, what do you mean, do with... The, what, do they, what do they do with this freedom, John? Um, in the second episode, garbage rains from the sky, and giant shrimp cocktails float through the earth <laughs> okay <laughs> again we're, we're we're given an explanation for it whether or not you believe it well that's a completely different story um <laughs> because the i and uh, the reason why the show is so clever is again it's playing off this conceit that it's like you can just easily package people into good and bad oh i see yeah. so and again like the show the thesis of the show is really there's a lot of ethical gray anywhere and so Got you it. have okay. it's it's really kind of a hangout comedy that takes place in this fantasy world, and they just run into all these situations where they have to choose between uh, or make impossible choices. And again, like it's yeah. it's basically like the trolley problem come to life. Okay. <laughs> well, it sounds like a not a classic sitcom premise, but the sitcom premise is you live in this world of black and white morality. Mm-hmm. And you have this uh, <laughs> this immoral character invading what is supposed to be this uh, kind of perfect ideal paradise, and you know all the conflicts and kind of come from there. Exactly, uh, all these moral conundrums that she presents. Mm-hmm. Right. And of course, it turns out that all the other residents of the good place weren't exactly perfect people in their lives either. Which okay. uh, brings me to my least favorite aspect of the show, the most overused trope in TV today: the flashback setup. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, John, what do you mean? It started with Lost. I mean, Lost did it, and it was great then, and we should do it from, from now <laughs> And now we should just do it forever. Orange is the New yeah. Black? Sure. Arrow? Okay, maybe not. <laughs> Handmaiden's Tale? Okay, come on. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Is it the Handmaiden's Tale or Handmaid's Tale? Oh, I guess it's Handmaid's Tale. All right. Yeah. yeah well, All right, whatever. You, I just can't pass up, I can't pass up an opportunity to correct How you. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> John, what sin did the good place commit with this flashback? I, I just, I'm tired of it. It's so overused. No, oh, you're just tired of the concept. Yeah, I'm just not. tired of the concept. It's like, <laughs> hey, it. we don't need to write a B-plot anymore because we can just flash back to their previous situation and just have the story parallel what's currently going on in the A-plot. Okay. Um, I mean, listen, studios need this TV content, so... <laughs> The easier to I mean, write they're the They're probably better. stretched as thin as creatively as they can be. So if you can just, I don't know, photocopy <laughs> and put a, uh old-timey filter on it, then, you know. I mean, I guess. More power to And them. I understand, you know, the impetus to do it. Like, again, Orange is the New Black and then The Good Place. You have this scenario where all these characters are forced together. You do mm-hmm. want to kind of get a sense of what their lives were before they were there and how it connects. But I don't, I'm just tired of it. I'm just sick of it. (laughs) Come up with better B stories. That's all you need to do. (laughs) Okay. All right. Fair enough. Why can't we just have everything take place in the present? And then have them Mm. maybe intersect in reality. Like, reality. Again, this is a fantasy show. My words fail me. (laughs) Well, John, I just want to point out how difficult that is. I mean, 
as great shows as Seinfeld and The Simpsons had a hard time doing it sometimes. <laughs> I mean, when they did, it was A-plus material, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's hard to do parallel stories and have them come together. Oh, I'm sorry. Should I expect them way. to be lazy? Do they not get paid good salaries? <laughs> Excuse me? I'm not paid to write a TV show. This is true. People getting paid in TV. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Netflix. You're greenlit. How can I help you? I do. <laughs> Well, that's good to hear. I'm I'm gonna have to. That's another show that I'm just gonna have to check out. Mm-hmm. And again, it's a half hour sitcom, so it's a you boring. breeze okay. through it. Only like uh, 13 episodes per season, too, which is nice. So that's that's doesn't overstay well. <laughs> sweet of NBC. Network. I know. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> They're respectful of our time. What do you have for spotlight this week, Greg? Well, John, you just reminded me, mm-hmm. um, as in the the current structure where we uh, flash back between you know uh, the past story and the present day. Mm-hmm. And it just reminded me of a great book. Um, This seems to be the format of all literature now. (laughs) Um, Otherwise, people get bored. And again, it's easy. (laughs) Yes. And it's the book that is the basis of a critically acclaimed movie that's coming out now. It's expanding in theaters. And I hope we'll get to talk about that movie in a future episode. Stay tuned. We're teasing them with a little R&R, aren't we? Yes. But for now, I want to talk about the book on which this movie is based. And that's The Disaster Artist Ah. by Greg Sestro Mm. and Matt Bissell. Mm was a tv critic but anyway we'll gloss over okay. that <laughs> um, uh, this is a memoir about um the creation of a notoriously bad movie called the room mm-hmm. and obviously cinephiles like you and me know what the room is for anybody who's uninitiated the room was a passion project of one mysterious tommy wiseau mm-hmm. um his age and origins are unknown <laughs> but he's kind of a lump in uh lump in uh inarticulate Eastern European man well, yeah. with jet black hair. He's clearly and, uh, Eastern European, but I think he tried to claim he was Asian or something like that. <laughs> no, I uh, he, he, I think he had tried to adopt a, a French affect. Oh, okay. He says he's from New Orleans, and that's his, it. His I, I, so. Yeah, he, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> I knew he'd claim to be from somewhere ridiculous, which clearly he is not. And again, yeah. he looks like he's pushing fifty, but he claims to be like twenty three. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He's gonna be in his sixties now or something like yeah. that. Um, uh, but he meets a young Greg Sestero in an acting class, mm-hmm. and Sestero is drawn by his fearlessness. Um, <laughs> and so they they strike up a friendship. Uh, they both move to Los Angeles. They're both struggling actors. And as a struggling actor, you do need somebody to kind of attach yourself to. And so these two, weirdly enough, attach themselves to each other. What this and in spite in spite of their struggle, uh, they obviously have some struggles, and that inspires Tommy to create his own movie. Mm-hmm. Um, in spite of the fact that uh, English is not his first language, and um, he has a tenuous connection with uh, social cues and people. <laughs> also, he's just terrible at everything he does. <laughs> I just, well, hang on, because he has he does have one skill, and that's making money. That's another mysterious aspect of uh, Tommy Wiseau. He's a uh, he's independently wealthy, but we're not sure how. Mm. Um, it seems that he was a he could have been a street performer, and uh, he befriended a. Uh, a, a a San Francisco real estate magnate or something like that got uh, lucked his way into a uh, retail space at Fisherman's Wharf, like really valuable property. And that's, that's the source of his, uh, his bottomless income. So mm-hmm. uh, people don't know, but he financed a $6 million movie that, that sort of looks like a real movie. <laughs> that's being I mean, very I, generous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it had a, a very, very troubled production. <laughs> Tommy was notoriously unreliable, couldn't remember his lines, they had to do take after take after take, um, would blow up on set, yell at people. And so it's a miracle that this movie was made for $6 million. Again, not a, a not a small price tag either. No, and it does, definitely does not show on screen. And no. 
Um, it does have uh, kind of competent green speed. Anyway, the competent. That's not the really, point. The point is, really. I. I gotta say, I mean, you try to do a green screen right now. Oh, wait, go ahead, see how it turns fine, out. Fine, fine. <laughs> you got me there. I have Premiere Pro. I can figure it out. I, do. <laughs> I have After Effects. But um, through his wherewithal and, and moxie, Tommy Wiseau was able to complete this film and put it in one LA theater and 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 buy a billboard with his face on it because he's the star of the show <laughs> and his own number. Writer, you could director, call in and find producer. information about this screening. <laughs> yes. And this was found by uh, some comedic... <laughs> Oddly enough, Patient Zero is a young actor from... Well, not young anymore, sorry, <laughs> Michael Ruslay, but an actor from one of our favorite internet comedy tropes. <laughs> he, he spread the word, and now it is a cult classic all over the world. Mm. For just how... I will say for The Room, I think it's because... It still has like it's it, it's it's an it's an made film, but it, its production value is still like watchable. I find that's a that's a huge problem with a lot of like bad movies is that they they miss things like like sound and the look of the movie and things like that. Whereas this, all the all the humor comes from uh, more the writing and the performances. I <laughs> the oddball the oddball that's at the center of this whole enterprise. Uh, and then, I completely disagree with you on the production uh, values. <laughs> everything is ADR okay. to the point that everything is kind of overlapping. <laughs> and no, Tommy's dialogue is ADR. <laughs> okay. Because otherwise they'd still be there trying to trying to get trying to get a clean audio from his tape. Hi, doggy. <laughs> You're my favorite customer. <laughs> but still, this well, that scene doesn't come together. But still, there's something so so off about it, um, and that's what makes the movie so compelling. But this this is a great little behind the scenes drama, and, and the way that it's structured is. Um, is alternating between the production of the room, the the nightmarish production of the room, and uh, his relationship with Tommy Wiseau. Mm-hmm. Again, this just enigmatic man. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a it's a very entertaining read. Um, again, like some of it, you can't even believe it's real. My only criticism for the book is yes, it has to follow that structure again um, to stave off boredom. But I find that that structure is now <laughs> becoming bored in its own right. Yep. It's become hack. It's and, hack. Um, yes, <laughs> and I I wish it was kind of solely authored by Greg Sestero or had a um or had a ghostwriter or something like that because what Matt Bissell, Matt Bissell is a critic by trade and there's some passages where like suddenly the suddenly the prose becomes very erudite mm. and you know incisive about you know and Greg's if you've ever listened to an interview with Greg Sestero he does not talk like that well, so if it was ghostwritten then he would be the only name on the book and would you buy that I, coming I, out of him uh you're you're probably yeah right. exactly yeah, probably Matt <laughs> The, this TV critic could probably yeah lend a lot to <laughs> lend a lot to sales, but mm-hmm. um, still it's very good, and uh, I hope it I hope it uh, lends to a very good movie. But we'll we'll see in a future episode, won't we? The uh, the uh, critical consensus has been very uh, wide. Let's say that. Yeah, oh, you think <laughs> yeah. so? I I've seen it's been generally positive. I mean, I don't know where you've seen any negative reviews. I've but. seen a handful of, of I mean, the AV Club especially. They both uh, the, the two critics who had seen it. Oh, whatever that guy says. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great calling out. Ooh, we're ca- we're causing I, yeah, beef. That, yeah, that's we're causing I, beef I, on the podcast. <laughs> yes, we are. Uh, that that critic's name is uh, Iggy Nemeski or something like Inach- that. Inachki Inachki Yeah. yeah. Um, Again, anyway, Russian. He's our age, Ugh. whatever. He yeah. probably hates <laughs> Jews. <laughs> anyway, he's our age. He's a young whippersnapper. He was going to replace uh, I forget who uh, two critics on at the movies because he was based in Chicago or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whatever. He's a, he's a schmuck. I don't <laughs> like him because I'm jealous of him. <laughs> oh, Greg. 
It's all right. I know. Well, one of the other things I wanted to bring. We'll up. have him on the show. Yeah, we'll have him on the show one of these days. <laughs> what, we'll uh, the at, one uh, more thing we have to bring to up, Potemkin though, or something like that. But <laughs> the disaster artist. You received this book by what means? Oh, uh, I believe it was a Christmas present from you. Yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> Good You're welcome. Because <laughs> that was how many years ago? <laughs> like three or four. <laughs> I know, yeah. It was a while. <laughs> the point is, I'm exceptional, and you would be nothing without me. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My mind is going. Yep. What's my pin number? You're, you're the Greg. I'm the Tommy Wiseau in this relationship. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> you're tearing me apart, Lisa. <laughs> Whatever. Keep your stupid opinions in your pocket. <laughs> Well, speaking of Christmas, I think our fans could do us a a, a little holiday kindness and maybe yeah. like and subscribe, I mean, maybe give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Please, sir. Please? Can we just have a like and subscribe, please? It's, <laughs> it's cold and lonely out here. I know. The Cratchit, the Cratchit family needs your support <laughs> for just one like and one subscription on the, on the podcast platform of your choice. Mm-hmm. Give us a five-star review the... and we'll... Uh, do a donation of kindness to ourselves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, maybe we'll set up a charity with a food bank. I yeah, don't know. I mean, I, I give I uh, give every oh, yeah. Christmas anyway, so I mean, I, I I just do it anyway. I don't need your likes or subscribes, okay? I'll just do it, okay? God, I'm a good person, all right? I deserve to go to the good place. I sure. Uh, John, we'll uh, talk about that. <laughs> and if you want any more guilt trips, you can also connect with us on social media. Exactly. Go to, uh, yeah. <laughs> go to Twitter and follow us at Aspiring Snobs, or you can like our Facebook page, the Aspiring Snobs Facebook page. But Greg, for Christmas, what are we watching next week? Yeah, well, yeah. So we we're celebrated Hanukkah, so let's move on to another high holy day. In, uh, the big show. Let's call America's it face. the big show. Yeah. The yeah. real reason in for the w- season. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we wanted. To, we've seen like pretty much every you know Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Home Alone. <laughs> That's the first Home one you go two. with, Home Alone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're children of the 90s, okay? This is... <laughs> Home Alone, Home Alone 2, Home Alone 3. <laughs> you know, all the Christmas classics. <laughs> so we really had to go for a deep cut. And we thought, you know, why not look at the origin of that classic Christmas carol, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, and that's the musical, Meet Me in St. Louis. Two musicals in a row. Ooh, it's Christmas for John already. <laughs> yeah, and I, I clearly got a lump of coal this year, so... <laughs> Don't worry. The week after that, we're doing one of Greg's picks, so... Yeah, we are. <laughs> oh, jeez. But you'll learn about that at a later date, won't yes, you? Yes, you're just going to have to yep. wait and... Ooh, we're such teases. I know. <laughs> Santa, baby, I've really been an awful good girl. <laughs> well... <laughs> Let's get out of here as quickly as possible. Everybody, we'll catch you on the flippity flop. Happy, <laughs> happy Hanukkah. And until next week, keep aspiring.